passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. It's John Pollock here with you alongside Wei Ting. How are you doing tonight, Wei? Doing very well. Very well. Yourself? Uh, this is our seventh show in four days. Yes. Yes. I am uh, I'm wrestled out right now, I feel. We watch a lot of wrestling, for sure. Yeah. Um, maybe more than I think um, anybody needs to watch. But that's that's just kind of our, our lives. It is. It is. But I am looking forward to a, a 24-hour break, and then we dive right into it again on Thursday. And I'll be re-energized by Thursday, I feel. Well, I mean, I, I will say at least um, I think it's been different kinds of wrestling. You know, yes. like watching the G1 is very different from watching Raw and SmackDown. So uh, by the time Thursday comes around, I'll be really looking forward to the G1. I'm looking forward to the the G1. Uh, the Cork and Hall shows start on Thursday. It's three straight nights there. I think that they're going to be entertaining shows. And yeah, we still don't have an update on Will Ospreay. So I guess that's the big uh, question going into Thursday's show. But yeah, there's going to be some great wrestling over those three nights and over the remaining uh, weeks of the tournament. Yeah. Well, do you want to give a quick shout out to the shows that we have coming up from Thursday onward? Absolutely. On Thursday, Brayden and Davey are back with Up Next, reviewing this week's edition of NXT. Uh, and then, uh, as John mentioned, we on we have our G1 review on our Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon feed for Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. Uh, Friday, we also have another G1 review show. Saturday, we have another G1 review show. So if you're a cafe member, you get bonus shows Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Saturday this week, uh, all after the G1. Uh, also on Thursday afternoon for Double Double Plus patrons, we are back live with the Cafe Hangout at 3 p.m. Eastern. And John, who's joining us? On the Cafe Hangout Thursday, we're going to be joined by James Lynch, 
uh, our former colleague, he is now heading up the SCORE's MMA coverage. Uh, he's going to be joining us to chat about uh, his decision to join the SCORE, all the work he's been doing. Uh, he was there in Las Vegas covering International Fight Week recently, and we'll talk about uh, a bunch of MMA news, uh, the MMA media industry as well, that I'm curious to get James's thoughts on. And then we'll also be joined by Buck Gunderson, a Ontario independent wrestler who is going to be wrestling on the OWE shows SummerSlam week. Uh, so we're going to chat with him. Uh, Buck's a really interesting guy because he not only has done wrestling, he's done promoting and all over the Toronto scene. So we will get to chat about uh, the independent scene as a whole and his experiences with it. I look forward to that. I, I, I've known Buck for a long, long time, actually. He used to be a referee for the Pillow Fight League, if That's you remember. Right. Yes. Yeah, so on Saturday, uh, WH Park is back with Cruel Summer, Saturday and Sunday, continuing that trend of shows. So um, plenty of content for everybody to enjoy. All right, so go check that out, postwrestling.com, and we can move on over to the news. Um and there's a little bit of it. Uh, the first item, uh, it's it, there's not a whole lot to say beyond the fact um, uh, Dave Meltzer reported this. I had heard uh, the same, that Eric Bischoff was not at SmackDown on Tuesday night. And uh, Dave reported the fact that he did not have uh, any involvement in the show on Tuesday night. So did not happen tonight. Uh, we do know for a fact he's going to be there on Monday for the Raw reunion. And we'll see... Uh, how he has how he's integrated into the creative process from there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I feel like this whole announcement has been several weeks um in, in the making and people thought that he would have shown up that first week and he didn't. And then maybe people were it was reported that he would show up after Extreme Rules. And I guess that hasn't really come to fruition as well. But you you know, you think about it, I mean maybe the time to come would be after SummerSlam or the time to actually, you know, uh get things in place with Eric would be after SummerSlam because so much is already uh gearing towards it that I don't know how much there is for him to 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 do beyond learning the ropes and getting familiar in this month. Well, when he was first announced with Heyman, I assumed that Bischoff would start to be attending the tapings and kind of getting used to everything because he is the one playing catch up. Uh, unlike Heyman, who I think you could insert immediately into the position he was going to assume. With Bischoff, he's coming into this relatively cold. So when he was not at all of the recent tapings, I don't disagree with you that maybe this summer it should simply be him in this environment, shadowing everybody and kind of getting a feel for all of this. I mean, he's admitted himself that he has a lot of catching up to do uh, to film, familiarize himself with everything. So Maybe the summer should be a wash and we look at the fall season. The problem with that is you're making potentially a and, and you know, we, we say potentially because I, I think people are looking at the Heyman thing and we're still early days into this whole process. But I think people are looking at it and it, it's not as though Paul Heyman has the 100 percent say so. So you look at the, the relative influence either of these men are ultimately going to have, but Putting in Eric in September when you're just weeks away from the move to Fox, that's like a potentially notable move you're making at a time when when it's critical that everything be in place for our biggest impact possible for October when they move to Fox. Yeah, very true. I mean, I would say maybe that Fox show is probably more critical than even SummerSlam. Um, I, I think 100% it is. Like SummerSlam, it's, it is what it is. It's going to do well and it's a show, but... 
in terms of success or failure, it's SmackDown on Fox is, to me, the, the number one priority this fall. Maybe it'll just simply be a gradual process as Eric, you know, starts to, I guess, uh, become a bit more integrated into that whole system. Maybe a little bit more and more he will have his say rather than maybe, you know, even like I think what we're seeing with Paul Heyman right now, it feels like it is a very gradual shift. If uh, if you can even really call it that much of a shift, um, I think in the end, though, I do feel like these decisions are more there to satisfy shareholders and I think you know, the image of, of the, of the company rather than internal. Um, that's at least my belief. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting because next Thursday is the second quarter earnings report and conference call. So that's going to be happening next Thursday. Uh, as usual, we're going to have Brandon Howard on the cafe hangout that day. So we will chat about that. And I'm curious how much or how little Heyman and Bischoff are mentioned in that call. And if they have a quarter where they're looking at declining, television viewership that they're able to point to moves like Heyman and Bischoff and coming off what will probably be a really solid number on Monday as evidence that we are we are course correcting this downward trend of television viewership because the quarter is not going to be a pretty one when it comes to uh, television viewership. No, I don't think so. But um, I think always just, you know, impressions are, are really all that matter. And I, I think this uh, positioning of this uh, what is it? A raw reunion, um, obviously, I guess is is a way to kind of curb that impression. Uh, speaking of television viewership, Raw on Monday night did two million four hundred and fifty three thousand viewers. It would be their fifth highest since WrestleMania. Uh, they were up just over four percent from last week's number that was going against the Home Run Derby. And this week, uh, we saw an interesting pattern throughout the three hours where. The first hour was actually the lowest of the three, and it's very rare that that occurs. They increased in the second hour, uh, which was the highest hour, at just over 2.5 million viewers, and then a small drop in the third hour, but not a huge one. And from start to finish, it was actually a gain of 4% from the first to third hour. So in terms of uh, grabbing people and the show growing, I mean, this was a at least a positive trend in in that sense where you grew in the second hour and the third hour drop was very minuscule. I find it really interesting. Yeah. Um, and you look at that pattern and you think about what, what might be the cause for the differences this, this time around. Uh, they believed Paul Heyman. They realized uh, that this guy is going to be that he cashed in and that uh, Brock would be, showing up in the main event to watch the Battle Royal, and, and maybe they were just captivated by that. They, they, maybe they love this this idea of a cross-branded, top 10, all-star Battle Royal. Yeah, were people actually that interested to know the result of that? Um, maybe. I mean, I people did stick around for the end, so maybe the Battle Royal did have some uh, some interest there at the end. Now, my question to you, the most watched episode of Raw this year was the night after WrestleMania. 2,924,000 viewers. What is your prediction for Monday's number? Are they going to hit 3 million viewers? Take into account that Raw, the 25th anniversary of Raw, the last time they stacked the deck like this with all these names, they did 4.5 million viewers. Mm. And that was a year and a half ago. So what is your estimate, uh, if you were guessing, what next Monday is going to attract? Um, I think it'll be maybe just around three. I, I personally, I don't, I don't even... I think it'll be interesting, but even if Steve Austin shows up, like what's he going to say that'll be that drastic that that would indicate any type of major shift in the actual product? 
Well, I don't I don't think it's so much going to be drawn based on whatever is is done or said. It's just how much anticipation is there for this show that people are going to tune in and see this. I definitely am not expecting anything close to that Raw 25 number. After watching Raw and SmackDown this week, it, it I I don't think they really um they really built this up like to be this huge deal. Um yes, it's Austin. Um I I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to do I do feel it's going to top that night after WrestleMania number. I'm going to say uh, just under 3.2 million is going to be my guess for this show on Monday. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, personally, I just, I, I especially coming off of you know, I think still the 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 feeling after Raw 25 and how that really in the end wasn't that much of a impactful show. Um, I can't necessarily even say I'm that excited beyond maybe seeing some cameos from. You know some of these legends, um, but Sid, Sid is going to be the difference maker, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like seeing just the 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 lack of interest, I think in Raw in general right now, I I really do wonder how much even a gimmick like this will attract your average fan. Um, TMZ received some additional notes on Jeff Hardy's arrest from Saturday uh, for public intoxication. They reported that Hardy was uh, passed out in a stairwell. And he admitted to drinking vodka prior. He ended up paying a fine of $153. And unless he chooses to fight this ticket, the case is considered closed. Now, I also reached out to the Myrtle Beach Police Department. And they did get back to me with a statement uh, just about it. And that they made an arrest at 11.13 a.m. local time on Saturday morning. uh, And that Hardy was arrested without incident. Um I find this to be, you know, given Jeff Hardy's uh, background, um, I'm, I'm not saying that the WWE is necessarily going to uh, do any any form of punishment, nor am I advocating for that. But I think this is a cause for concern. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's Jeff Hardy. Um, I I mean, the circumstances surrounding it uh, make it certainly look a, a lot worse. And yeah. I, 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 if anything, I, I would certainly say if they had any major plans for him, I don't know if they would carry on with it at the moment. Um, I'm sure there's the, the number one priority I think is to just make sure he's, he's healthy. So yes. um, that to me is the priority of the, the, making sure this guy's life is in order that if he is drinking on a, on a Saturday morning and passing out and getting arrested, that that's a problem. And I think it's just addressing the problem and not just skirting this away and putting out a, well, he's responsible for his own problems. Like I, I don't need like some giant public spotlight on this, but I think privately that this is not something you should just ignore. I would hope they wouldn't. No. Uh, and I, and like seeing, you know, the, the company's moves as of late, I, I certainly don't think that that would be the case. I don't think he's going to get fired or anything. Certainly not. No, cause it's absolutely Jeff, not. It's Jeff Hardy. And I also think that at this point it, it's, it's a health issue. And I, I, I don't think there are even grounds to, to, to legally do that. I, I could be mistaken, but I, I, I think, you know, a main concern of the company and I'm sure everybody who knows Jeff Hardy right now is to just make sure the guy's all good. And the final thing, um, Chris Charlton put out a tweet tonight, just kind of addressing the news from the last couple of days. And I'm just going to read his tweet here. He said, not used to being news. Thanks for kind words, flattered to the point of embarrassment, but I'm not going anywhere and never was. 
Rocky and Kevin will continue to knock it out, out of the park on a nightly basis. I'm excited to support at points throughout the G1. See you at Coroquin. And, you know, you, you've seen over the last few days, like there has been a, an enormous amount of support for Chris Charlton. And I think that they're just looking to move past this. And it seems that, you know, his role, his new role, that's going to be what it is. And he's going to be spread out throughout the G1. And I don't know if there's much more to say beyond that, other than, you know, there's been a, a huge amount of support for this guy. Yeah, that I think has seemed to be the most notable thing coming out of the news, uh, or at least the report. Uh, but, you know, Chris's tweet seems to indicate to me that, like, the reports are, they seem true. And I, I think that this is him clearly stating, like, it is what it is, um, yeah. but he is, you know, but he, supporting... He, he, he will His still be there. Partners. He, he will still be there to chime in whenever, uh, you know, like we saw on the day, uh, what is it, day three show, uh, where you know Kevin would would gradually kind of throw to Chris in a more limited role, uh, but yet he is still a part of the, the the crew. I think you know, seeing seeing all the criticism, I have to believe somebody like a Kevin Kelly would be a lot more, um, I guess, would be looking for a lot more ways to to fit Chris into the broadcast then I think, you know, maybe he was permitted to or maybe felt he felt like he was permitted to in the earlier show. So I expect him to have a have a louder voice, maybe not as loud as maybe it was before, though. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's the decision that's been made, I don't know if it's necessarily Kevin Kelly's to be able to uh, to change that, to to do things like trying to incorporate him. I think it seems that right. it's going to be a. Like that's that's the role that they want Kevin and Rocky to be calling the shows, and Chris is there for translations and make it more of a of a two man team. But I think that the support, I would I would think if I'm New Japan uh, that Asahi and TV Asahi that they'd be pretty overwhelmed by the amount of spotlight that this story has gotten. That you would maybe be surprised by. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of support for this guy, and I, I think that there's a very, very valuable role for Chris on that broadcast um, that people seemingly I, – I mean, it's not 100%. I think that you know every broadcast is going to have his detractors, but a large amount of people uh, really give a thumbs up to this three-man booth that they seem to have really separated themselves from the other pairings that New Japan has had. Yeah. All right. Uh, for the rest of your news, you can go to postwrestling.com. And that takes us into SmackDown from Tuesday night, taking place at the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts. And we started off with footage from earlier in the day with Shane McMahon alongside security. And Kevin Owens arrived at the building and Shane mentions the town hall and he is not going to tolerate insubordination. Owens reminds him he does not work for Shane. He works for WWE. Shane says the WWE is the McMahon family and therefore I am your boss and he tells Owens that you have the night off. Au revoir. And Kevin Owens leaves the building. It's, you know, if they're going to rehash one of their most famous angles, I I think they're doing it. Owens should have came back in a big truck or something? Yeah, either that or um, what else has Austin done? Any of those uh, things. Zamboni. Uh, Zamboni, yep. Any monster truck, whatever. I guess they don't really have the budget. I guess he would do what? Maybe, maybe he would. He would. He would have a Zamboni. He's Canadian, so um, yeah. I I think you know Shane did a good job here. Like this is really pretty much like a textbook Steve Austin push, uh, like down to the T. And yeah, I think it's been working. 
they go then to the arena. Uh, we're at uh, the present moment. And the locker room is out on the stage. Shane's in the ring. They recapped his match at Extreme Rules. And Shane is booed. And he's here to listen to everyone. And he just starts off. And Roman Reigns is the first one up to the mic. And he says, no one respects Shane. And he can kiss his ass. Shane says, all right, you will be fined. And that was Roman Reigns' involvement on this whole show. It's really interesting to see the backseat Ronan has, has been taking on this product ever since, um, really, like, at the beginning of the year, I feel. Even since his comeback. like <laughs> Pretty much since he was moved to SmackDown, he's taken a much lesser role on SmackDown. Oh, I would say since his comeback. Like, he he really kind of has been a bit more of a background player, whether it be, you know, behind Seth or uh, uh, Kofi Kingston on SmackDown. And I think they sense, like, the audience's, you know, maybe... Uh, uh, you know, t- being tired, of course, of, of Roman Reigns. Uh, having him in the background is, I think, only going to, um, you know, help his cause whenever they do decide to push him as the main star again. So he just goes back, and then up next we have Charlotte Flair, who thanks Shane and is sick of Kevin Owens. And then Liv Morgan gets on the mic calling Charlotte a phony and says, is there anything real about you? Charlotte asks, do you even work here? And Shane was annoyed by Liv and just moved on, but we would get a match later on between Charlotte and Liv Morgan. One of Liv Morgan's rare appearances on SmackDown since the Superstar Shakeup. Has she even had one? I'm venturing to guess uh, probably I don't, not. I don't, I don't even don't, know, I don't even know no, if she's had a match. I don't think she's had a match. I'm trying to think if she's had an appearance on SmackDown. Then... Um, a gentleman by the name of Buddy Murphy was called up to the microphone. I guess this is a, a brand new debuting wrestler. He said he doesn't need Owens to fight his battles, and Owens should keep his name out of his mouth or he'll slap it. I remember that guy. Uh, vaguely, vaguely. Well, I thought he sounded good. You know, sounded confident. Well, that's great. That great. That's great that his confidence is still there after all these months. Apollo Crews said that everyone agrees with what Owens said last week, and he gets cut off by Zelina Vega, who challenges Apollo to prove it. And they're going to have a match later, and Drade cut a promo on Apollo Crews. So this was pretty much just setting up matches for everybody later on, or reminding you of who's still on SmackDown. Elias started to play the guitar, announces, I am not Kevin Owens, and the New Day got involved here. At one point, Biggie swore, and at least in Canada, it was censored. And Kofi doesn't like Owens, but he's made good points, and it took him too long to get this WWE title shot. Now he's champion, and everyone on this stage has that potential, and his mic gets cut off as Shane just ends the town hall. He's had enough of this. and But he still uh, called be- the segment a success. <laughs> yes, yes. This disaster of a segment where everyone just complained or kissed Shane's ass. It was one of the two. And that was our town hall way. I hope we can get this every week. I actually like the segment. I think it was a segment, you know, that not only uh, was designed to build up the matches for the evening, but in particular for this week, at least, it was designed to give a bit of a spotlight to a number of neglected stars that Kevin Owens mentioned in his promo last week. I wonder if that was a plan starting from last week, and that's why Owens said it, or maybe it was an ad lib and they decided to follow up on it. I'm I'm really not sure, but either way, I was really happy to hear people like Liv Morgan get a chance to speak, Buddy Murphy get a chance to speak finally. Um, and Apollo Crews. And I thought everybody sounded good. Now I'm hopeful that they all follow up with storylines for them. 
Uh, we know that w- that's the case going uh, with Liv Morgan, it, seemingly. Uh, hopefully, Buddy Murphy gets the same treatment and Apollo Crews as well. And then when everyone leaves, there's Cesaro from Raw. And he says, I'm here as a wild card to challenge Aleister Black. And that match is made after the commercial break. But before we end the segment, Owens appears and goes to stun Shane, who goes down before Owens can hit the stunner, has to lift him back up and then stun him properly. And then Owens does his uh, Shane McMahon dance and exits through the crowd. Uh, This was among the worst stunners uh, of a guy to take one that you're ever going to see. And Shane has taken plenty of them in his lifetime. He, this guy is a a veteran of yeah. taking stunners, but this was awful. This was terrible. Well, I mean, I wonder, you know, it's just a mistiming, unfortunately. Bad stunner aside, though, I thought Shane was a lot of fun to watch in this role. Like him cutting that town hall short and then still deeming it a success. It's almost like he's kind of playing like a Michael Scott type of like buffoon as a leader, except he's a heel. <laughs> And I find him really entertaining. But, you know, beyond that, I think, you know, the the whole focus of this was to to build up Kevin Owens as as the rebellious Steve Austin type of character. And I think it's been working. The audience is getting into Owens a lot yeah. as a babyface. And they're making, you know, it. this has become like the top feud on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Like Owens feels like he's, he's a babyface. He feels right now he's being pushed more than Kofi now on the on this show. It's a hot, it's a hotter angle. Yeah. We got a promo for the Raw reunion, and I love this. It was they had an individual edit to this ad just so they could insert Eve Torres's name into the list. Oh wow! So that's that's the latest name. I was like, wow, they they recut this just to get in the name Torres because like that. Some people might be sitting on the fence. They're like, I don't know. I don't. I have plans Monday night. Should I stay home to watch Raw? It's like Austin, Nash, <laughs> Hall, Sid. Wait a minute, Eve Torres, you say? That's going to convince many many people. That might be the, the final name that's going to convince them. They're like, yes, name number uh, 28. That's the one that has grabbed me. I know my plans on Monday night. Oh, my God. Maybe Henner will be there. I was thinking that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, sure I'm be, sure he will be. Well, I'm sure he'll be maybe. watching at least. Yeah. Uh, maybe he could come out. Uh, Cesaro versus Aleister Black. Um, they had a lot less time than they did at the pay-per-view. Cesaro goes to the floor and... Black does his uh, flip off the middle rope and sits down as we go to a commercial break. Come back. Well, the, and, but a picture-in-picture picture commercial break, right? I believe so, yeah. It's always tough for us in Canada to figure these out. I think there were only two of those on this show that yeah. went through the commercial break, so I'm assuming they're picture-in-picture. Picture. Well, there are no resets here, so I would assume that as well. They did nothing on the – there were no two out of three falls. There yeah. were no resets. Like, there was nothing. This was as close to, like, a clean, old broadcast as WWE has done since – the commercial break rule was instituted. Because the rest were all just short matches. Yeah. Uh, Cesaro has a sleeper on. Black gets out and hits a quebrada. Then there's an uppercut and running boot from Cesaro. He applies the crossface. Black gets out, lands a flying knee, and then lifts up Cesaro by hooking him with his foot into position for the black mass where he knocks the mouthpiece out and pins Cesaro. Um, Hard to follow up after that excellent, excellent match at the pay-per-view. I mean, these two, they still have great chemistry. It's just this was a much shortened version of what they did on Sunday. And I don't think it should be as good as the pay-per-view, you know? It's it's kind of what the pay-per-views are designed for. But I, at the very least, I think you ask for something that's entertaining and worth sitting through on free TV. 
I'm really glad they decided to run this back for for a TV audience because it was probably the match of uh, that entire show um, and maybe one of the better uh, WWE main roster matches I've seen in a long, long time. So good hard-hitting rematch. You know, even with without seeing the picture-in-picture commercials in Canada, the lack of contrived reason to reset these matches already makes a huge difference in maintaining the flow and the credibility of the match. Not to mention the energy of the live crowd. So... Like, please go back to this. You know, I, 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 you don't have to do it for every single match. And certainly last, last night was a telling example of when not to drag uh, matches out beyond one segment. Um, but for a match like this that I think is really hot, that people are really interested to see the in-ring of, go two segments. Go three segments. I could have done with this. So um, good wrestling in the end, I think, for both characters is what's going to get them over. Uh, I just... I wish it was a little bit longer for us, but I also know that the U.S. audience did get to see a fuller match. Ziggler was with Shane McMahon, and both had taken stunners recently. Ziggler wants to teach Owens a lesson, but Shane says, well, Owens is long gone. And Ziggler says, I can make some calls and get him here for the main event. And we really saw no follow-up other than Ziggler grabbed someone's phone number, and then Owens showed up for the main event. So it didn't seem like it was all that arduous for Ziggler to get him to show up. A lot happens off camera. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, they showed Sarah Schreiber's interview with Daniel Bryan after Extreme Rules, which was actually a great interview with Daniel Bryan going yeah. psychotic. So good. Bryan, and actually quite a number of people backstage have been doing some really good web-exclusive interviews, um, you know, typically after their segments on TV. And these ones, I mean, in particular, when Daniel Bryan does them, they feel so in the moment, so full of emotion, and I'm sure in Brian's case, completely unscripted, or at least very loosely scripted. So I, I really enjoy these. I'm glad they replayed it on TV here. And they have really been pushing this week. Tickets going on sale this Friday for Raw and SmackDown at Madison Square Garden, September 9th and 10th. And, you know, certainly I think that they don't want to have any egg on their face, that they want to go to the Madison Square Garden and, and fill this building two nights in a row. Yeah, yeah, I would. I'm, yeah, I would certainly say so. And they're also going. Uh, when is that Triple A show at Madison Square Garden? It's. Uh, let me look at the date here. It's like oh, right oh. around that time. Um, gosh, I can't remember. September fifteenth. They're going that Sunday after Raw and SmackDown. So wow. they're going. They're going Monday and Tuesday night with Raw and SmackDown, and then Sunday Triple A is there at the Garden. I don't know how much of a concern AAA is is for them, uh, especially with. I mean, I don't I, think so either. I think it's just interesting the timing of it that they're going right before that, and I mean they are going to destroy AAA with what they draw in comparison. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like, is is the holdup uh, of them like not doing TV at MSG because there's like a way different fee attached to it? Yeah, it just it, it costs up much more to run oh. the garden, and it's just been more economical for them to run Barclays Center. But obviously, you know, with um, they have a renewed um, relationship with the garden that they're doing TV here for the first time in a decade. Yeah, cool. But yeah, it's co- it's costly to run the garden. Uh, Charlotte Flair and Liv Morgan. Uh, there were chops early on from Charlotte. Liv hit a step up in Saguri and then leaped off the top uh, or leaped off the rope, stomping her down. Charlotte came back, powerbomb, figure eight, and submitted Liv Morgan in two minutes and 23 seconds. 
too too short to really be anything. It was just a quick win for Charlotte. Well, I think the idea was more just to remind the audience that Liv Morgan was around and that um, they basically positioned her as like the huge underdog here going up against, you know, the unbeatable several time champion Charlotte, Liv Morgan. Um, and, and with Liv Morgan ultimately um, failing in accomplishing her goal, but the idea is that uh, Charlotte might have underestimated her and that maybe she did better than, you know, anybody expected. But it was also just to set up this uh, post-match with Liv. Liv then walks over to the commentary team and says, Charlotte was right. And when I come back, I'm going to be real. And then she like limped away, selling the effects of the figure eight. And we don't know where Liv Morgan is going, but when she comes back, she's going to be real. Maybe she's going to the fun house. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, maybe. Probably not happening. But, I mean, I, this seems to facil- uh, like set up a, uh, and facilitate some type of character change for Liv Morgan. Um, maybe as a heel. Uh, maybe without the blue tongue. Maybe just something different. Uh, I like it a lot. I think Liv seems to be ready for a, a solo role. And I'm excited to see what they come up with. Ziggler was in the back with uh, Drake Wirtz and got... Someone's phone number. We presume it was Kevin Owens. It was never explained. And then out came Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose to take on Ember Moon and a mystery partner who turned out to be Bailey coming to Ember Moon's uh, aid. And I thought it was all- a little underwhelming. Like all afternoon or all week, really, they were like hyping up Ember and, you know, what you would assume would be some sort of surprise um, uh, uh, partner, maybe making a return, maybe somebody who, you know, is at least. Yeah, it, that we haven't seen for a while. Uh, certainly, Bailey like makes sense, especially with what they did at the end here. Uh, I don't know. I found the initial return a little bit underwhelming. Anytime you see like the graphic with like the blacked out, you know, uh, image of 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 the, like the mystery entrant, your mind just like goes wild about who it could be. So, I, I don't think the crowd's uh, mind went wild. I think they thought about one person, Sasha, of course, and yeah. I think even more so in the post match. I think they were very let down. When the reveal was announced by Bailey, I don't. I feel like by the end, like it was pretty much like obvious enough that it was going to be Ember. That I think the audience even started chanting Ember. So I think they avoided that. But this initial uh, surprise, at least for me, it felt a little bit underwhelming. Rose and Deville double team Bailey. Uh, she ended up hitting a sliding knee onto Deville. Moon got the tag. Deville tries to interfere. Bailey took her down and. Moon came off the top with the Eclipse and pinned Mandy in a minute 36. Another very quick match. And then Kayla got into the ring to interview the winners and asked, who will Bailey face at SummerSlam? Uh, because with we are standing right, with Ember standing right next to her. <laughs> Ember standing right there. Um, yep. And I guess the options were, well, Bailey, you can either name your opponent or we'll, we'll name one for you because we're not doing another four-way. And yeah. she said that the Alexa Bliss feud is over. And she wants to face someone with charisma, someone she's never faced before and is dedicated. And she pauses and the way they did build this up, it did lead you, especially with the uh, the qualifier of someone she's never faced. And, and with Ember and, getting the strong win with the pinfall earlier. Yeah, I just think that it, as soon as the, Kayla asked the question, it naturally is going to send your mind to like her music playing and thinking like, if Sasha's coming back, it would have been this, especially after you saw what they did last night 
well, with that title program. The key line is somebody I had, hadn't faced before. Yes. Is what she and said. then I think everyone realized it. She chooses Ember. Ember says, hell yeah. And we are going to get both women's titles contested in matches involving baby faces for SummerSlam, unless there's any changes to these. You're right. Yeah. Unless, you know, Natalia takes a bit more of a harder edge, uh, you know, turning herself heel. But in Toronto, she will be a babyface. So literally brings a horseshoe to TV next week and knocks out Becky with it. Yeah, I thought you were going to suggest that she did something else with that horseshoe, like she had well, promised. But wow, maybe in the third hour. Yeah, you know, I, I thought they set this up really well, especially in contrast to you know how they set up Natalia on Monday. Uh, no comparison. This was a brief match that was entertaining for the minute and a half that it was. Puts Ember Ember over strong. Uh, I thought they scripted the whole segment in a way to make the lack of Sasha appearing to not be that disappointing at all. Um, it, the audience didn't sabotage this. And it seems like it's a fresh matchup that I think people are into. Um, then, yeah, I like Corey Graves after this. He was trying to instantly uh, go after Bailey, saying she just picked someone she knows she can beat. Great. Awesome. I, I did think, though, it was... Like, last night on Raw, we went to all these uh, efforts to come up with our contenders. And here on this show, it was just simply, well, who do you want to face? Sometimes it... And I guess I guess that shows you, like, the lack of options that you really have on SmackDown if you're to line up all the women that you you had there that night. But I think simple is better, especially if when compared to Monday, you know? Well... The Monday thing yes. was, honestly, it was fine. It would have been fine. But the segment went way too long, and the match, unfortunately, just under-delivered. If it was a one-segment thing that set up Natalia as the challenger, and then you got that promo that you got with her and Becky, I think we'd all be glowing about that, too. Nakamura was backstage with Sarah Schreiber. He says he is free to rain down chaos on the whole universe. And then Ali appears to congratulate Nakamura. Really hitting us hard with that chaos stuff. So maybe Toriano's going to get on a plane and jump into SmackDown. Yeah, or maybe... New Japan is going to be issuing a uh, Chaos and Deceased. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe they'll make a trade. You know, you, we get the Bullet Club. You can... Well, actually, they know they own both of them. Never mind. Yeah, they're... Uh, they're, they're, they're maybe it'll be like K... A-O-S. The, the rapper? It's K-O-S. Okay. Uh, Nakamura and Ali... Sure. I like it. Yeah. You know, it's hard, you know, it's not going to be a headline grabbing, you know, type of match, but it seems to be if it's a motivated Shinsuke Nakamura, a match that's a, like very could stand out a lot uh in terms of uh, in-ring work and uh it's 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 a great way for Ali to get a big match. You know what? The the promo I want from Nakamura, it's the easiest one. He's going to get onto the microphone and he's going to say at SummerSlam Ali Bomaye. Oh, beautiful. I love it. And that's the only promo you need to cut for this. Well, thing. I mean, he's got the Kinshasa. You know, that that in itself is But for one night he's gonna he's gonna go to his Japanese roots. He's gonna he's gonna build up the knee for ultra power. I mean Kinshasa like, is an Ali reference as well. It is too. I mean, that's you know, the derivative of it. Yeah, I I, I like it a lot. I mean, I'm really curious to see what type of story they can build. Um, because we we see in Shinsuke Nakamura somebody who I feel like has glimpses of, you know, interesting storytelling, but I don't think he's ever really been able to follow through with it. The United States of Knock America thing really was just a, a catchphrase, not much depth to it. 
Whereas you have Ali, who I think in all the promos that we've seen him cut, has has had like just like far more interesting conversation and and far more depth attached to like all of his motivation. So how are they going to mix the two? The new day came out and Woods called Kofi Simon Phoenix after he dismantled Samoa Joe. He is the demolition man. And Kofi puts over the victory by Woods and Big E to become tag champions. Big E started mocking Brian's promos and he accepts their tag title rematch tonight, which I thought those were thrown out the window. I thought we didn't get automatic rematches. I guess uh, Brian had to challenge them and they were going to accept anyway. Okay, so it's the champion's prerogative if they accept it. I guess so. Daniel Bryan and Rowan came out, and Bryan went to speak, but then he didn't say anything, and he walked to the back. He came back again, but he wouldn't speak, and then he walked out again. And they had said all day long that Bryan had a some major announcement to make, and I guess this is what it qualified as. It uh, did not seem like they had a, well, it doesn't seem like they did what they envisioned. No, and I was disappointed. I really wanted to know what he had to say. It's not easy. It's not It's not difficult to get my attention. You know, just tell me you're going to have a big announcement and then come out and tease us with it, I guess. But um, it seems like we're going to have to wait a bit longer for this announcement. I think a lot of, you know, I, I it seemed to indicate with the way that they were positioning this that Brian was not going to challenge for the tag team titles and that he was going to surprise them by, you know, perhaps challenging Kofi for the singles belt. And that at least doesn't look to be the case after this episode. So the New Day just remained in the ring. And then Samoa Joe came out to challenge Kofi for a title match. Then Elias walked out, said Joe had his chance at Extreme Rules. He wants the title match with Kofi, which led to a great line from Woods in the ring, if you could hear this. And he's like aren't you guys on raw? <laughs> and I literally, I knew Joe was on raw and I had to look it up. Elias is on SmackDown, but <laughs> I, I actually had to look this up and maybe Woods did as well. Uh, but it was very funny. And then the third guy out is Randy Orton and says, it's been a while since he's been champion. He wants the title match. Elias and suggests a six man tag new day. Uh, did their best Teddy long impressions and accepted. And then Orton declines a six man tag and as he's going to leave, Kofi says that Orton has gone limp. And that's right, enough. Because he's the Viper, and Vipers usually stand. And Orton says, you know what? I am going to partake in this six-man tag now. Because you have insulted my dick. My Viper. Yeah. And thus we got our six-man tag. Uh, they got some time here. They did go through a commercial. Uh, Elias knocked Kingston and Biggie to the floor as they had the advantage on Woods. Uh, Woods eventually fought back. He hit a missile dropkick onto Elias. Kofi gets the tag. Orton avoided a trouble in paradise. Then Kofi avoided the RKO. And there's a reverse cross by Kofi. Elias made the save. Biggie comes in with a belly to belly. And then Woods with the Topican hero to Joe on the floor. Coquina clutch gets applied to Woods on the floor. Elias drills Biggie with a flying knee. And it leaves Kofi in the ring with Orton and. Uh, first, Kofi takes out Elias with a trouble in paradise, but then turns into an RKO and Orton pins Kingston, theoretically setting up a title match for SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I like the match a lot. I thought a really excellent sprint to the finish from everybody involved here. And the booking is like 
simple, you know, catapult Orton right up to that number one contender level textbook stuff. Um, I guess the only blemish is that we just saw Orton kind of lose a chance to vie for that same number one contendership last night, but it's okay. This is his consolation. It, yeah, yeah. At least he can have the WWE title. I mean, everybody really wants that universal one, but this one will do. I think it's a worthy SummerSlam match. You know, these two have a ton of history together that I, I hope they draw from, including the stupid, stupid, stupid freakout that I hope they replay. Um, of all the options, I mean, I feel like Orton is a good choice because it seems to me like I don't see Orton beating Kofi. So if they want to continue this Kofi Kingston reign through SummerSlam, beating Orton is a really important notch. I, I like the matchup. I think these two, they they had great chemistry in the past when they feuded. Uh, you also have the story that Orton is going back to the same arena where he won his first title at SummerSlam in 2004. All right, sure. So against, um, against uh, Invisible Man. Exactly. Gotcha. Who? Carmella is looking backstage for our truth. He's in a laundry washer and he's stuck. And he said he didn't know how Kane always did this. What? What's that mean? I don't. I didn't quite get the the reference at all here. Because the big red machine. Maybe. I mean, this thing was white. Um, perhaps that's what he. Maybe we're just missing something obvious, but I didn't get it at all. Um, Did Kane um, wash a lot of clothes? Is Kane like a manufacturer of uh, of washers, maybe? No, I don't, I don't think so. I really have no idea what this reference was, but anyway. Uh, Carmella knows where R-Truth can go hide if he's willing to wear a costume at Comic-Con. And he says, don't call me a con. I did my time. And Carmella corrects him, and then he falls out of the washer and nearly kills himself falling out of this thing. This looks rough. This looked like he could have like lost teeth if he smashed his face. Yeah. Like this was a this was a rough fall on concrete. It was the biggest bump of the whole show. It was like our truth's biggest bump in months, I think. Uh, and that's it. He's off to Comic Con. As a comic book fan, as somebody who's been to San Diego Comic Con, I'm. Quite looking forward to this. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, no mention of Drake Maverick on this show, but I think you could expect him to show up potentially. The Iconics finally defended the tag titles against Asuka and Kairi Sane. Sane attacked uh, Peyton Royce with a bunch of chops, uh, held her for a code breaker, and there was a sequence of uh, double-team maneuvers from Asuka and Sane that were just great. I mean, they were just working together tremendously well. Uh, Billy Kay then came in with a boot to Asuka and Billy Kay gets sent to the floor with a spinning wheel kick and Peyton Royce goes to help Billy Kay up and Kay is about to climb back into the ring. Peyton holds her back as they take the count and lose in 90 seconds, but retain the titles. So this is a, uh, this wouldn't help them in the G1, but to keep their tag titles, this was a, a great plan. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's whatever. It's just like uh, it prolongs the feud, um, puts a bit more heat on for for the for the program. I feel like the chase certainly isn't strong enough yet to execute the title change. Like really, the Kabuki Warriors. I don't even know how many matches they've had on SmackDown, nor promo time. So the the audience is just they like the two characters. I think they even like Paige, but like there's just 
nothing behind this chase yet. So they need to definitely heat it up a little bit more before it actually happens. And then they attacked uh, Royce after the match and hit the uh, Kyrie hit the insane elbow onto her. So this will obviously continue. And I, I hope it ends with the Kabuki Warriors winning this, winning these titles and doing something with this division. I feel that this is really the casualty of um, the wild card and just, I mean, they really have no teams in this division at all anymore beyond these two teams. So they can make plenty of teams. There are plenty they of people could. There who, yeah, who don't there's have lots of people just hanging around that yeah. you might as well just throw them into teams. It's just this is a division that doesn't get uh, a lot of focus on television each week. No, certainly this uh, this um, uh, Iconics run has been probably going too long. I mean, we're talking since WrestleMania that this is uh, this comedy act has really kind of occurred. Um, it seems they've had a longer title reign than Seth Rollins did. Wow. Yeah. It seems like maybe the excuse has been like, oh, we just haven't had time to feature these two to in order to build up challengers to to execute, uh, you know, a, a worthy replacement to take over the titles. But um, there's they're not going to have that excuse this month, hopefully. Uh, Andrade versus Apollo Cruz. There were a lot of matches on this show. Andrade jumped them before like the bell. Minutes. Yeah, they're all like. There, there's not a whole lot of analysis to put in these matches. Like we're talking, it's like honestly, it's fine though. Like it, these are all setups for story. As long as like, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Rather than like ten minutes on something that you know probably wouldn't be that good anyway. Uh, this one, Andrade jumped him before the bell, hit a discus elbow. Then the match begins, running knees, and then as he goes for the cover, Cruz turns it into a crucifix in 52 seconds and pins Andrade. And I say it wouldn't be good because they'd be like split up with commercial breaks. You know, uh, if these two went out there for 20 minutes, I'm sure they'd have an amazing match. But the way that they they've been booking these um, uh, matches as of late with with the stupid resets, I'd rather them just do short matches. That way, you can even feature more storylines, more characters. And we're kind of left. They got a lot of people on this show as uh, compared to recent editions of SmackDown for quite a while, actually. And it was a fast moving show, you know, by the end of it, I feel like I got glimpses of all these different characters, especially on this show. When you saw a lot of fresh new faces, Um, you know, this you fit you fit seven matches into this two hour show. Good. Awesome. You know, they're, they're trying again with Apollo Crews. Uh, part of me wonders if it should be against Andrade, who really himself has, has yet to be established here. So somebody is going to have to lose in this feud. And I feel like both men, I don't know if either can really afford it right now, but, uh, it's, you know, I, I certainly hope this time around they have something different for Apollo Crews. I hope they are dedicated with Apollo Crews. I think that's even the most important thing because anytime they tried, they just forgotten it the next week. And then the main event was Dolph Ziggler against Kevin Owens and, Owens tried for the stunner early on. Ziggler bails to the floor and uh, just teasing the same outcome as Sunday. Owens went and hit a somersault dive and then followed with a swanton in the ring, landing onto Ziggler's knees. Uh, Ziggler then capitalized with a famouser and then applied a sleeper hold and a jumping DDT. Owens comes back, super kick, swanton, gets a two count, and then Shane McMahon comes down with all the heels from the locker room, including Raw's Drew McIntyre, who was here tonight. Owens got distracted, took a zigzag for a near fall, and then Ziggler throws Owens into the post, shoulder first twice, then ducked a super kick, and Owens landed the stunner onto Ziggler, but before he could cover him, Shane pulled Owens to the floor, Shane takes his second stunner of the show, this one much better than the first, and then Owens just sprinted as the locker room chased after him, and that ended the match, and then Kayla decided, 
Now is the time to go in for an interview as Shane is selling the effects of the stunner and Shane just said that Owens is going to pay as we went off the air. So I'm 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 it's still my, in my mind I'm thinking like are they still sticking to this like four four uh, wild card per episode thing? And so I guess we had Cesaro here, we had Drew, we had AOP and who else? Who who's the other one? AOP's Raw, right? No, they're SmackDown. I believe. You sure? Drake, I think they, Drake Maverick was raw. But they they never got moved to... Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I tried. Sami Zayn. Wait, he wasn't on the show. Um, he was not on the show. He was on Raw. Okay, whatever. Who cares? Uh, you know, a bit of a weak finish, I have to say. You know? Um, but I don't know. I wasn't looking forward to the match that much anyway. Overall, I enjoyed SmackDown. It felt like a fresh start of sorts, giving a lot more airtime to a new set of performers. I think the Shane stuff is being built effectively. He's been fun to watch, and Owens has been receiving great responses. I, I think it's been a really great like rehabilitation of Kevin Owens, who seems to really be thriving in this babyface role. They're and letting him constantly escape with the upper hand, which yes. is getting him over. Yeah, and Shane is selling for him, which yeah. is key. It's not like Shane is getting one over on him, outsmarting the babyface every week. So it's like, from a psychology standpoint, it's it's working, and the audience is getting behind Owens each week. Yeah. So I think you have to look at that as a positive. And yeah, introducing a bunch of programs that you figure are going to lead to SummerSlam. I would say an interesting question mark is where Charlotte fits in. This is the first time we'd seen her back in a few weeks, and... You know, if you're taking Liv Morgan away, unless you're bringing Liv Morgan back really quickly, and that seems like a really strange setup for Charlotte. I don't know what Charlotte's going to do at SummerSlam. Uh, you could do Liv Morgan. I mean, it seems like Liv... Maybe we're going to see the demon Liv Morgan. Oh, there you go. You know, this is like the Finn Balor thing, where she, she loses, and then he comes back as a different version. So maybe we're getting demon Liv Morgan, which would be <laughs> which would be amazing. Maybe like instead of like a blue tongue, like she she'll have like black. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I I thought they were on this episode of SmackDown. They were able to get a lot of storylines across in a very economical uh, time. Yeah, it's it's to the sacrifice and detriment of I think having good wrestling. But these men, these feuds aren't hard enough for or, or aren't aren't. Yeah, they're not hot enough for for me to want to sit down and watch fifteen minutes or ten minute matches anyway. So they're they're there to establish characters. I like Ember as a challenger. I like Orton as a challenger. I'm disappointed we didn't get the Brian announcement, but I guess it's something to look forward to next week. And on two hundred five live, I haven't seen it yet, but they did the rematch tonight between Jack Gallagher and Chad Gable, and I've heard it was pretty great. I look forward to watching that. Um, yeah. It's too bad that Gable, I guess, hasn't. I wish they put that match on on SmackDown, but then again, they wouldn't get Do the you? time. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Like I, I, I don't think you would have wanted to see it on SmackDown. It's probably better, better suited for two hundred five live. Well, maybe I wish that they would promote the match on SmackDown, perhaps because it was. I, I think that's a great idea. I think tonight, like that match, got some buzz the last time. I think tonight, just a quick billboard, just hey, coming up next on the WWE Network, it's the rematch people have been waiting for for the last month. It's Gable Gallagher two. Immediately after, like ten seconds. Even, That's all you need. Even just the commercial, you know, like they done, they did. Uh, I would say a relatively good job in a short amount of time promoting this evolve show, featuring like pretty much a bunch of unknowns. And I think that's elicited a great deal of interest on the WWE network. 
Um, if they did the same thing for 205 Live, talking about how we're getting a rematch between like one of the most buzzed about matches of the year, at least from 205 Live, uh, it would do a lot for 205 Live, I think. So anyway, that was uh, SmackDown for tonight. Uh, I, I I go six on this show. I think you're going higher. I go seven. All right. The forum is right in the middle way. 6.43. Oh, I, that means I think we're not completely out to lunch. Well, let's see if any of the people on the forum are out to lunch, starting with Paul from New Jersey. I found this to be one of the best televisions of the year. I'm a fan of Liv Morgan, and I believe she had a very good performance. Bailey versus Ember Moon sounds good. The New Day were hilarious, and those fighting champion Aussie goddesses retained the championships. Storylines progressed, and we got to see some talent we usually don't get to see. If I had one complaint, I was eating meatloaf and spit some of it out laughing when Shane said something to, effect, to the effect of, But you're not on this brand, Cesaro. The cheek of Shane, or whoever scripted that line. Nine Demolition Men references out of ten. I don't know how long they can keep this facade up of having two brands. Uh, like, why waste the mental energy of, like, making sure that four people from Raw or four um, entities from Raw are on SmackDown every single week and vice versa? Just mix the rosters at this point. I don't think people even know the difference anymore. They don't. Between, I, I like, I, the roster I get stumped know. every week of who's on which show. Like, I have to look it up. I, I can't remember like each week, like what show is Elias on? I had no clue tonight. I had to look it up. It's almost been like a bit of a fun, like, you know, brain teaser trying to keep track of it all. But I, I couldn't do this today. Joey from Queen says, while this show still has a few edges that need to be roughed out, this was a refreshingly good episode of WWE TV. Cesaro and Black was a killer TV match, and the shot of Cesaro's mouthpiece on the floor after the Black Mass reminded me why Kevin Dunn still gets a paycheck from the WWE. I'm very pleased to know people like Liv Morgan and Buddy Murphy are, in fact, still employed, and the rest of the matches, while nothing overly stellar, were completely acceptable for weekly TV and did not make me want to do a shooting star press out my bedroom window like in the build-up to the Saudi show. However, the best part of the show was the proper use of Shane McMahon. While his punches are considered a national treasure here in the United States, he should not be going punch for punch in matches with Roman Reigns no matter how much help he gets. He is now allowed to excel at his most valuable trait without exposing his glaring weaknesses between the ropes. 7 out of 10. All right, we go on next uh, to The Wolf. What an enjoyable episode. I felt like I was given more character story, and I'm hooked. I didn't care much for Liv Morgan, but now I'm ready to see what she does next. Bailey versus Ember is something I think could bring us some unexpected great matches based on what we know they're capable of. I really liked how Orton sold for Kofi. He took some nice bumps, but having Orton win and pin Kofi created tension on that championship. I need to see more of that insane elbow. It's so good. I like the chase of the Kabuki Warriors after the Iconics. I love a hot mic around Kevin Owens. His banter during these matches is the stuff of legend. I'm still not sure about the stunner as his new finisher. And Owens running away kind of didn't seem right, especially as Shane again gets the last word. It's tough to explain, but I overall genu genuinely felt a good vibe on this show. Seven out of ten. I think we, you know, at least I expressed the same concerns as the Wolf about Kevin using the stunner, perhaps just because, you know, of the obvious comparison to, to Austin. Obviously, the intended comparison to Steve Austin, but also making Owens seem a little bit like a fanboy. Yet, you can't deny that it's been working. It's getting over with people. I think it's it's an easy move that gets a pop. Um so on a I McMahon, think do, in particular. On a McMahon, especially. And I, I felt like at the end of this, it's still Owens's 
like Owens is in a role where I think he can get away with a lot more than a, a typical babyface can. That this guy is someone that played the bully for so many years that would always cower. That um, I didn't even see it as like cowardly at the end of this, but I mean. The thing is, he's not Steve Austin. Steve Austin would never run away like that. But Kevin Owens also is not Steve Austin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's like this, like they're very much playing him as like the everyman that's speaking on behalf of everyone else. And mm-hmm. is just like this average guy. That's how they kind of position him. And I mean, thus far, like this is the most Kevin Owens has been focused on for a while. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be, um, I, I would not be negative on What's working? What's clearly working for him? Certainly Monday and uh, I think a potential you know, a segment between he and Steve Austin will be very important for him. Could be a turning point even uh, in, in his role, in, in this current role as a babyface. And I hope uh, at the end of it, it's, it comes across as a bit of a passing the torch from Austin to, to Owens. If he could do it. And I mean, he did do this at the Raw anniversary, but at this point, like I really physically don't want to see it. But there is the natural segment of like Vince and Shane in the ring at the end of the show, and they're just taking all the credit or whatever, and and it ends with stunners to both of them and Austin like handing a beer over to Kevin Owens. Yes, yes. Um, I just don't want to see Vince taking. I think and, and, Vince can take the stunner. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm sure he can. It's just man, I don't know. You're really, but, but you're okay. Really let's say things. they did end with the beers. Uh, which in a segment like that, I guess you have to. Do you think coming out of it, Kevin Owens would would feel too much like a subordinate and not like the current, you know, guy? Uh, I think if he's posi- positioned on like a even even plane with, you know, the, this legendary figure, um, right. it's it's all in the execution of you know not making it look like uh, Owens has just won a trip to wrestling fantasy camp with his uh, his favorite wrestler. The promo has to be hot. You know, if he gets a chance to cut the promo, that's where I think he can really shine uh, on a level above Steve Austin. Yeah, maybe Owens gets to cut a big promo and then it's just Austin yelling the hell yeah at the end or something like he's almost uh, Owens hype man. Mm. Something you could do there with with those two. So, but uh, does Kevin Owens drink, though? Uh, If it's a big angle, I think anyone drinks. What would he drink instead? He likes popcorn, Um, doesn't he? You yeah, have a corn Pepsi. popcorn on your face. Pepsi's probably banned on WWE programming. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show, everyone. That's, <laughs> that's it. how we end these broadcasts. Awkward. We just end quiet. Like, we should do no sign-off one week. Like, just end abruptly. So everyone's, like, looking at their phone to see if the, there's a problem. Like, that'd be a cool way to end the show. <laughs>